got to see the like behind the scenes of you that like you are these things and you are also these things and you also have struggles and it has allowed me to have a lot more compassion for myself you if, if you guys weren't doing your psychology thing you could like make millions on the internet market i'm just you know just saying that um so, what? Yeah, no, I it's too late. 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 <laughs> well, wait, she's in psychology. She's making millions anyway, right? No? True. <laughs> uh-huh. True. You are listening to Psychologist Off the Clock, Off the Clock. We are four clinical psychologists here to bring you cutting-edge and science-based ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your relationships, work, and health. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado, and co-author of Act Daily Journal. I'm Dr. Diana Hill, co-author with Debbie on Act Daily Journal and practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. From coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. And from sunny San Diego, I'm Dr. Jill Stoddard, author of Be Mighty and the Big Book of Act Metaphors. We hope you take what you learn here to build a rich and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. Many of us are feeling exhausted, anxious, stressed, or burned out, yet feel like we still need to work harder and achieve more. I've gathered a number of leading experts in the field of compassion, habit change, parenting, mindfulness, and social change that have strategies to help. On October 15th and 16th, I am co-hosting the From Striving to Thriving online summit with Mindful Communications and Mindful.org. I'll be interviewing eight thought leaders, including Jed Brewer on the neuroscience of craving, Kristen Neff on self-care, and Rick Hansen on healthy striving. This summit is a powerful and personal one, and there's no cost to attend. I really hope you can join me. My co-sponsor, Mindful Communications, is also hosting a free three-day virtual summit titled Healing Healthcare, a Global Mindfulness Summit on February 8th through 10th, 2022, that you won't want to miss. It's bringing together leading experts, healthcare executives, and thousands of frontline healthcare professionals to explore both individual and system-level approaches to support well-being. You can learn more by checking out the link in our show notes or by registering fromstrivingtothriving.com. That's fromstrivingtothriving.com. Hello and welcome to the psychologists off the clock, really off the clock today. I'm Michael. I'm usually the strategic consultant for those fantastic ladies here. And today we have a very special episode, a very special occasion, a lot of special occasions. Uh, We're celebrating 1.5 million downloads. We're celebrating the birthday of Yael and Debbie, who are both turning, they told me, 29 today, which is which is ish. freaking amazing. Yeah. 29-ish and in our souls. <laughs> plus, plus, plus. And, and we decided we would just do a chat with the entire team. So I have with me Diana, Yael, Debbie, Jill, unfortunately, can't join us today. Um, in her stead, we also brought in Katie Rotfelder, our dissemination coordinator. Did I, did I get that right? Dissemination coordinator. And, <laughs> and a big shout out to uh, Melissa, who can't be here today either. Unfortunately, like everyone has a really busy schedule in this team. So we're super happy that the five of us got, got together here on, on 
Uh, there's lovely evening on my end here in Vienna. Uh, we're actually you know, seven people in the team, five time zones. So we're all the way from uh, morning to evening here in Europe. And now I've done enough talking and I'm opening the floor to all of you guys. How are you doing? It's great to be here, Michael. Yeah, five different time zones amongst all of us. And so it's it's great to just see all of you and celebrate. Yeah, and it's fun to just have an opportunity to casually chat. You know, we often do episodes that are with guests and that are more, uh, you know, pointed in the conversation. But whenever we get together as a team, there's always a lot of fascinating conversation. This is a team of brilliant people who love books, who love good ideas, who are hilarious. So we thought we would just kind of share the inside scoop on what goes on behind the scenes of POTC. Okay, so this is something that I've always thought uh, ever since I joined the team, and I don't even know when that was, months, years, the pandemic makes everything blur together. Every time we're having a meeting, I'm thinking to myself, like, people should be able to listen to that. Like, this is so inspiring and so informational, and I'm always learning so much, and I always feed off the, the amazing energy that is happening in those meetings. So let's see if we can recreate this, this magic and, and share it with the world out there. Actually, I want to start with a question for Katie and Michael, because both of you joined Psychologists Off the Clock with knowing sort of about the podcast, but not necessarily knowing behind the scenes what goes on between the four of us. And I'm curious, how has your perspective changed based on what you know now versus what you were expecting this team to be like? I can go first, um, because I think actually having that perspective, the inside perspective has really helped change and kind of orient me um, in my life um, just overall, because I think I started listening to the podcast um, when I was a, a baby in my graduate program, like my first semester, and was just trying to soak up all of this knowledge and got into podcasts on my morning runs and it was my favorite podcast of the week. Um, cause I would hear all these names that I knew and was excited like, Oh, um, you know, Steve Hayes is on the podcast. Wow. And then sharing it with someone. And, um, I think it was, well, now it's been about a year, maybe a little over a year since I started working on the podcast. And there was a, a note on, um, the Association for Contextual Behavior Science, an email that came out from Jill or the team or something that said that you guys were looking for interns and had a, a total imposter moment, but was like, you know what? I love this podcast. I want to get involved with people. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to email her. She probably won't even respond, like trying to kind of like set the bar low for myself so that I didn't get too disappointed. And then Jill responded. And I think one thing I've learned is I have for a long time kind of put people way above me, kind of on these pedestals. And I had done that with with you all too of like, oh, Jill, Debbie, Diana, Yael, like y'all are all these incredible women who are just flawless and do all these amazing things. And I can only aspire and I um, will never like get to this, you know, all these kind of negative self-talk messages. And then Jill responded 
And then I had an interview with Jill and I think I was like sweating profusely (laughs) and was so nervous. And, um, and then, you know, got to start interning and I I will say throughout the time I want to, I'm noticing, I want to phrase this well. Um, I got to know each of you more, but I got to know your humanness. I got to see the like behind the scenes of you that like you are these things and you are also these things and you also have struggles. So it's, it's like you have written books and you do the podcast and you're a mom and you struggle with anxiety and you struggle with imposter syndrome. And it has allowed me to have a lot more compassion for myself. And I notice that I approach people differently now that even if I really admire them, I also am like, oh, whole human being here in front of me. Um, so I guess that that was a long-winded way to say that's that's how my perspective has changed. I think it's changed how I look at people now. I love that's that. so touching. Thank you, Katie. And we just loved you from the moment we met you in that very first few interactions. And I think I'm just like shocked that you ever had the perception that we were so flawless <laughs> having been behind the scenes all along. It's like, I'm glad that was shattered for you because that is clearly very much not the case. Thank you well, for sharing that. And it really is like the more I get to know you, the more I like, I love you even more than you know, even three years ago when I was starting my graduate program, I admire you more because I know the struggles that you go through. I know the other pieces. And so that makes you even more like human, but more of something to, you know, admire and, and want to be a part of. So, yeah. I, I remember I had I had to smile so much as Katie was speaking because I remember as I jumped on the team, one of the very first things uh, before I met anyone in the anyone else in the team, I, I remember one of the things that I said to you guys is I'm not so sure about interns because I've never made a good like any show I was working on. The interns were usually so unexperienced that they it was very like rough working with them. And you guys were like, Oh, Michael, wait until you meet our interns at <laughs> this big smile. It's like, wait until you meet them. And I like, that was like, that was, I think the, the biggest surprise, how, how, how sharp Katie and like, they're, they're running, like they're, they're such rock stars doing, doing their thing. It's like, it's, it's incredible. Um, like you, if, if you guys weren't, doing your psychology thing you could like make millions on the internet market i'm just you know just saying that um what? so yeah no I it's, too late. it's too late millions? it's too late <laughs> well wait she's in psychology she's making millions anyway right no True. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah right we wish <laughs> so so the big the big surprise for me is actually so apart from from the you know getting my expectations about how awesome interns uh, can be um the biggest surprise for me was that as I got into the self-development world and started working as a coach and working with podcasts, being on podcasts, being on shows, doing workshops, all of that stuff, 
I, the big realization that I had that whenever I was looking up to a brand or a guru or a mentor, the moment you look behind the scenes, you realize, oh, they are just, you know, they're, they're, they're just boiling. Uh, they're, they're, they're just, you know, they're just like anyone else. It's complete chaos behind the curtain. And it all, I wish I had a story to tell like with you guys as well, but that was not the case. Like the moment, like what I heard on the podcast and what I'm seeing behind the curtain, leave out the editing. And it's, it's the same thing. And I mean this in, in the best way, like the, the organization, the support, the, the sticking together and the mutual support, even when things don't go so well, um, that really blew me away because usually behind the curtain, you know, things are a little bit different and everything is shiny on, on stage and the, the product that comes out and then behind there's, you know, a lot of back and forth. And, and he was just like, no, this is, you know, it's, it's the same show. It's just one, one we, we record and we publish and the other we don't, but the two sides are effectively the same. If that makes, if that makes any sense. I love how you talk about behind the curtain, Michael, because I think that as podcasters, we get to see behind the curtain of some of our guests that come on as well. I feel like I've had the experience that, that you talk about, Katie, with the people that I've put on a pedestal, and then I bring them on as a guest on the podcast. And, and sometimes it's just recognizing they're human. Like you talked about, like, wow, they are really struggling with their own anxiety or their insecurity. So that's been kind of an interesting process is, is being able to meet these people that I've really admired that I'm reading their books and, and then be able to see behind the curtain. I, Michael, it's sweet that you say it matches. And certainly you match behind, behind the curtain too, in terms of what you put out there and then what you bring to our team, but both of you and Melissa as well bring to our team is just a lot of positive encouragement, insight, and gets us out of our foursome dynamic a little bit to bring a different perspective in. So appreciate that. Psychologist Off the Clock is happy to be partnered with Praxis Continuing Education. With Praxis, you can really transform your clients' lives by learning how to effectively promote lasting change with evidence-based training. And they're really the premier provider in continuing education for clinical professionals. Praxis has both on-demand courses as well as live online courses. They have beginner offerings like Act One from Matt Boone or more advanced offerings like Act Immersion with Steve Hayes. Some of their live online courses include classes in dialectical behavior therapy, superhero therapy, and act with parents. You can get a coupon code for Praxis Continuing Education on our website, offtheclockpsych.com, for some of their live offerings. And we can really attest to the quality of Praxis. We've both participated in it ourselves and have seen its benefits in our clinical work. So visit our offers page at offtheclockpsych.com. Hey, everybody, it's Jill. If you are a clinician and have been wanting to learn more about ACT, I have an upcoming full-day CE workshop through PESI called Breakthrough ACT Techniques and Experiential Exercises, a clinical roadmap to help clients overcome psychological distress. You can either join me live on Friday, October 8th from 8 to 4 Pacific time, or you can watch on demand anytime. To register, just visit my website, jillstoddard.com, and click on Learn from Jill, Conferences and Workshops. I hope to see you there. So without any, without mentioning any names or giving any hints, like what were the weirdest reactions that you had, like talking to a guest in, in funny, weird, I don't know, whatever, wherever you want to go. Um, don't, 
don't mention any details, but give us some of the give us some of the inside. I feel like most of my guests have like what is very cool about this the role of being a podcaster is the opportunity to, to get to know people on a human level who seem like they're so untouchable. Um, and but I'm often surprised at how incredible people are, you know, as humans, even though they're, you know, so brilliant and have had such an impact on the field. I've definitely had a few experiences where guests have said very surprising things, like either dismissing, you know, the field of clinical psychology or science. That's happened a few times, but I would say like the gross majority of interactions that I've had with guests have just been so affirming of, of like people who are brilliant, who are trying to do good work, who are trying to make a positive difference and are really, um, you know, good hearted, like at their core. It's, it's really, it's so cool. And I'll, I'll just say too, that, you know, so much of the work of being a clinical psychologist can feel so isolating. So there's some, and on the one hand, podcasting can feel kind of isolating because you're, you know, sitting with your computer, um, you know, with a microphone, but you're often like doing the editing on your own, the reading on your own, but there's no place in my professional world that I feel as connected. And in part, it's because of the guests, but even more so it's with this team. And so I will say like the, just the humanity that comes with doing this kind of work is just so it's just such, such a gift. So I have a name. I feel like for me, the oddest interview was not oddest, but most unusual was when I spoke with Stephen Porges and it was right when the pandemic hit and we were just shutting down. And here's the guy that's like responsible for the polyvagal theory and this process around how our nervous system works and our parasympathetic nervous system works. And we were on the edge of shutdown. And the first thing he said to me was, okay, well, we got to really end on time because I need to get to Costco. (laughs) I need to load up. (laughs) We need some supplies. So we'll, we'll make sure we end on time. And I was like, okay, yeah, you know, even Stephen Porges needs to go to Costco to load up for the pandemic. And so that was uh, really kind of humanizing and a great way to start the interview for me. I think for me, something that has been very interesting and really just fascinating, and I think sort of a gift is when someone reveals something very personal in the course of an interview. And I've had this experience multiple times where someone starts the interview. Sometimes you feel like they've done a million and they're in the middle of their own busy day and they carved out an hour. And and in the beginning, there's almost like a kind of overly like, okay, let's get this done kind of vibe. But then they sort of get warmed up and they start talking. And I mean, I've had a few people, I won't mention names, but you can hunt for these. If you listen to the podcast, I've had a few people that will start telling a story and then they'll say, I've never talked about this publicly. I've never shared this before. And there's almost a sense that we just kind of connect and we start flowing. And then those to me are the most profound moments when they reveal this personal experience they've had or a personal detail about their lives, because it really makes these concepts less abstract and much more personal. That's so interesting. Um, I'm now I'm I'm very curious to hear what makes a good interview guest. Like for some, maybe maybe we have you know some someone listening who aspires to do the podcast round and, and do interviews and get their message out there. Um, and I can imagine that when you go on podcasts as a guest, you always get maybe the same questions, kind of get bored of kind of giving the same routine answers about the work and the research and, and all of that stuff. Um, 
what would you say sets a good a good guest apart from from the others? I think Debbie, for me, kind of hit the nail on the head. It's it's when I mean, in part, it's when people are able are willing and able to kind of show up in a really authentic, present oriented way and share a piece of themselves. The other part that I like that I think comes out of that is the really authentic interaction. And, you know, sometimes that shows up as like the guest will ask us something and then it really becomes a very genuine, like both of us showing up and sharing something in a very mutual way. And I think those are really powerful. Like I remember I got to interview Angela Duckworth for our 200th episode and it was, you know, she's like way up there for me in terms of how much I admire her. And I just think she's kind of untouchable, but then she started asking me questions and I was like, Whoa, Angela Duckworth is curious about me. And I really, you know, got to connect with, and, and that was, a, I think just a lot of fun for me. And I think got to show just how, how incredible she is and that she doesn't see herself as so much higher than anybody else. One of the things that really sticks in my mind from that interview, Yael, is that she reads like gossip magazine. Yeah. <laughs> it's his personal little deal. I'm like, what? Really? She does. I feel like she must just work constantly. <laughs> yeah. But I, I also think, um, you know, when people have something intellectually interesting to share, but then it's that balance with the personal tone. And on a very practical level, I also think when people give very brief answers and then stop talking. It's a little jarring, but also if you ask a question and they go on for 45 minutes, it's just, you know, it's less conversational. And I think that this is something I think about when I'm being on the other side, when I'm being interviewed, it's like striking the right balance there. It's like making it conversational and not giving like one sentence answers, but also not going on and on and on and on and on and on. Um, so that, that's kind of, there's like a sweet spot there. That's, that's perfect to hit, you know? Yeah. I feel like there's something about when you can actually feel like you're in a relationship with the person you're having a conversation with. So there's a back and forth. They're acknowledging that we are humans over here on the other side of the screen. And we're psychologists also that have a few ideas or uh, things to add to the conversation. So that back and forth you were talking about, Yael. And then I also have really taken away Michael's coaching around what is it that our listeners are going to learn from this episode? What are the takeaways? How is this going to help people? What are some things they can apply in their lives after listening to this that's going to enhance their lives? And so folks that have that skill set of being able to say, okay, here's some things you can do, I think is also really makes a good podcast. Katie and Michael, can I turn that question back on you? I'm curious from, because you guys re- listen to all of our episodes and you know do the social media and help us edit them and, and sort of perfect them as much as they can be perfected. Um, so what for you makes that an episode really stand out as like, you know, this is a special episode or this is an episode that I think will really make a difference or touch people? I think for me, it's also the humanness piece. And when the guest really provides examples or metaphors or things that just seem to, to fit. Um, so maybe even a concept that I have been struggling with or I'm not really grasping. And then the, the guest says it and it's like a, Oh, kind of a, a feeling. I also think I was thinking about how, you know, there are some guests that 
I listen to, and I really value what they're saying. And I want to know more, but in the moment, I'm like, I just don't, I don't have the headspace. but it's the fact that we have so many different types of guests on that. I know when I'm ready, I can go back and, and hear what they have to say, or I'll be working with a client and they're struggling with something that I'm like, Oh, wait, we had Julie Lithcott Haynes on the episode. And now I'm going to go back and listen to that episode or pick up her book, your turn or recommend that to a client. And I think it's, it's fun when you have episodes that you want to share, share with other people. Yeah. I, I agree with, with all of that for me, the perfect episode results in, in three things. A throughout the episode, I'm I don't want to take the headphones out and I'm laughing a lot. I just want to listen to it uh, because it's so easy and so entertaining to listen to. More importantly, however, what, what Diana said is that when I'm done with the, with the episode, my behavior is already changing. And I had this happen recently with uh, the author of um, How to Change, where during the interview, I had like light bulbs go off and I'm like, that's what I've been doing wrong for four decades. Like, this is how I, this is, this is how I do it. And, and suddenly, you know, the next day, so many things were a lot better because of all the stuff that I learned in that 60 minutes of interview and, and already my life changed to a certain degree. And, and the third seal of quality is when during the interview, I already jump on Amazon and I'm like not buying the book because my wish list is like long enough to last me through three more pandemics. Let's hope that's not happening. But I put it like this goes on my wish list. Like this, I, I can't forget about this book. Like one day I need to make, make time for it. That's, that's what makes great interviews for me. I love all of those. Wait, so can I ask a follow-up question? This was a question that I, that I, this is a question that I love to ask in general, but I think that all of us really get into books and, and, you know, get our curiosity gets sparked. So what are you guys all reading right now? And I'm curious if there are books that are related to psychology or not, because obviously psychology is of interest to all of us, but it's not the only thing in our lives. I feel like I should just point toward this enormous stack of books. <laughs> in fact, okay, I will tell you a personal story about myself, which is that every time I go on a vacation or a trip, even if it's like two days, I like bring a separate bag filled with books because I, I get library books and I have books that I own and I like to read on paper more, but I, I like Right now I have a heavy fiction book going and a light fiction book. And I have a book for the podcast and I have like three or four other psychology books I've been meaning to read and just a little of this and a little of that. So my personal, I just wish I had more time um, to read them all. But I think to me, I'm just reading all over the place and like a little bit here and there. And then I just go on vacation. I don't know what kind of mood I'm going to be in, you know, I'm going to be in a nonfiction kind of mood or like a page turner, who knows? I just can't, I can't make up my mind. So what's the fiction book you're reading? So I'm reading this book. It's called, it's called, what's it called? The mirror and the light or something. It's here. Hillary Mantel's book. It's the third, her series on um, 
Cromwell, which was, you know, I tried to read King that Henry. on Audible, the first one, and I couldn't, I couldn't, it was so recommended highly and I just couldn't, but maybe that's one that it's so better in paper. It's not a breezy book. It's like kind of a slog, but it's very good. So, but it's taking me a long time to read because it's <laughs> slow going. Yeah. I am similar to Debbie in that I think I have five or six <laughs> different books going. Some of them are based on what y'all recommended. So I've got a couple of fiction books and then I've got multiple books on audible. And then I've got my like clinical training books, which one of them is Debbie, what you just recommended to me, the written exposure for PTSD. I can't remember the author of it though. Marks and Sloan, I think. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You're in the trauma treatment world. Mm-hmm. I'm reading that one. And then Diana, actually, you did some social media posts about, um, is it the Fox, the mole? <laughs> that, that was a S. Yes. The mouse, the mole, the fox. And is there another one? Yeah. The horse. The horse. horse. Yes. Well, such a good book. Such a beautiful book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have that on my nightstand. I have a Reese Witherspoon fiction book that I work on in the evening sometimes, um, or not, not by Reese Witherspoon. It's her, her sunshine book club. I seem to have pretty good luck with that. Um, and then I'm, let's see on audible listening again to Jill's book, the be mighty. It's probably my third time around because I just need to hear the concepts over and over and over. Uh, and then the paper palace. Have y'all heard of that book? It's a New York Times fiction kind of thing. So lots of books. I'm I'm absolutely the same. I have so many books open. Um, I'm 95% on Audible um, because I'm a very slow reader and I don't like the fact that I need to make time to read on my Kindle. Um, I like the fact that I can cook and I can work out and I can brush my teeth and I can still go through books. So... Um, I'm reading Act on Your Business by Lee Shay McDonoghue. Um, that's my only like Kindle book. I can only commit to one Kindle book at a time because it takes me so long. Um, what I learned from How to Behave is that my, my Stephen King um, audiobooks and I only go when I work out. So if I want some to listen some more to his books, I need to work out, uh, which has helped a lot. Temptation bundling for the win. Um, When I go to sleep, I always listen to a Terry Pratchett Discworld novel. I just start at the beginning and I go through all of them and I start at the beginning again. And then there's some political stuff thrown in. And in terms of self-development psychology, I just finished Unwinding Anxiety from Judson Brewer, finally, which was such a a great book. And before that, uh, Men's Search for Meaning which I read at least once a year, I would say. So I don't know if listeners are feeling a little intimidated by the number of books (laughs) that you all are reading. (laughs) Like all of a sudden I have this like, oh, I need to catch up and start reading. I get overwhelmed by reading too much at a time. And I have that experience on the podcast where it's like, I feel like I should be reading all these books. And I've had recently had that experience with preparing for the summit that I'm doing the from, from thriving to thriving summit, where I had to literally read like eight books within a very short period of time. 
So I'm taking a little breather from reading right now and just letting my mind rest. And I'm trying to, well, I am, okay. I will say I'm reading two Harry Potter books with my children on a (laughs) nightly basis. Wow. And uh, the illustrated Harry Potter is the bomb. That's all I can say. So yeah, I'm taking a little bit of a little bit of a breather. That's awesome. How about you? Yeah. I think like Diana, I sort of go in these phases where I'm reading a lot and then I sort of take a break. I'm I'm definitely in a reading a lot phase right now. So I usually have a book going on Audible that is my fun book because it fits for the podcaster for work. Um, I need it in paper because I write all over my books. It's, I defile my books, but it's how I learn best and retain the information and sort of remind myself of the things that I can't remember. Um, but on Audible, I am reading a John Le Carré book. It's called... Hang on, I have to look it up. It's called Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And John Le Carré is not an author that I would normally pick up. The reason that I picked it up, and I often do this, when I'm reading a book and the author references other books, and if I like the author, I'll I'll, I'll have my interest peaked. So um, I was reading a Nora Ephron book of essays, and she was she had this one essay that was about all the books that had really changed the course of her life, and she loved John the Carré. So I was like, oh, I guess I should read him. Nora Ephron says that he's great. So it's a little hard for me to get into, but I think it's pretty fun. And then I'm doing a couple of books for the podcast on happiness science. And then I have a bunch of books going with my kids. I'm reading Winnie the Pooh with my youngest. And I actually just finished a Twisted Tales book with my oldest kids. And if you guys have never heard of them, they're really fun. They're like takeoffs on traditional fairy tales, but it's like a different ending, but they're just like really clever. And um, it's fun if you're into Disney movies and can kind of reference back to them. So that's what I got going on. So I have a follow-up question to that, actually two, and they're purely self-serving because I definitely need help with that. Uh, With all of you reading so many books and then having to remember all of the concepts so you can go into the interview and you're prepared, how do you take notes? Yael, you said that you write in your books. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) For me, that never works because then I have to like copy that out and put it into like digital form. How, How do you take notes and retrieve notes? How do you know where you wrote down what, where, when? Fill me in all your secrets. I keep a notes section on my phone because sometimes my questions for folks come up when least, at least expected. I'll be like going for a run and I get back from my run. I have all these ideas that I want to jot down. And so I'll keep all of my notes for interviews in that notes section. And then when I'm reading the book, I'll put my notes in that app. And what I find interesting is that oftentimes my ideas don't come while reading the book. Sort of that default mode network when you have that mind wandering or you're in a conversation with a friend, that's when my questions are generated. Because when I'm in the book and I'm reading the book, sometimes the questions can be a little bit dry. Like, can you tell me more about what unwinding anxiety is? Right. But if it's I'm out in the world, then it's like, okay, whoa, this could be an example of unwinding anxiety right now. So it can be applied a little bit better. So that's how I keep organized. And then half the time, all the notes that I write down, I never even use in an interview. I get sort of like super deep into whoever it is that I'm interviewing. I I get to know all of their stuff and all the ideas. And then once I get in the moment, all of that kind of goes away. And I'm just in the moment with them and whatever comes to the surface rises to the surface. 
I'm a copious note taker by nature. I think I'm a pretty visual learner and processor. And so I like if I'm attending a talk or a lecture or something like that, I will write a lot of notes down. And like Diana, a lot of times I never really look at them again. Sometimes I do though. And I just have all these different notebooks. So sometimes it's hard to find like, which notebook did I have at that particular conference or whatever. But I think for podcast prep, it really depends how much time I have, because if I'm really have enough time, I will take a lot of notes as I'm working through a book and then go back later to use those to formulate some questions and some ideas. But I think sometimes it's more of a last minute rush job and I'm just kind of skimming through the book as quickly as I can. And um, in that case, I don't necessarily have a whole lot of time. Um, but that's a there's a part of me that feels really unsatisfied that because I like kind of want to have the notes partly to refer back to later. And um but it's really, to me, it's really a pen on paper kind of thing still. It's like, I like to read on paper, but I also like to handwrite notes, which is super inefficient, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm I'm the same. So I, un, unlike you, Diana, I, I really like my questions come up as I'm reading. I think this is why I love podcasting because when I read books, I always want to like ask the author, did you think about this or or how did you come to that? Um, so I sometimes... I think even pre-podcasting would have these internal dialogues with authors, but now I'm like, oh, I can actually ask them. So I'll like jot a note. I'll, I usually read books old school with a highlighter and a pen. So I'll like highlight it and be like, oh, ask this. And then when I prepare for an interview, I'll I generate a document that has all my different questions. And I think I actually really do have a hard time with anxiety during interviews. So I when I get anxious, I, my mind goes blank. So for me, it really does help to have those questions in front of me because it sort of anchors me to like, okay, here's where the conversation can go. Once in a while, if I relax, it can be more like what Diana was expressing of it just being kind of a natural flow. But a lot of the time, it, um, you know, I am able to kind of go through the questions and, and then it's fun because, you know, it really does end up being a dialogue with the author that you could have otherwise just had in your head. <laughs> And I, I just want to sort of put a note out here that for all the listeners out there that we're always excited to hear your thoughts on what you would want us to ask authors. So, you know, if there are topics that are of interest, you know, never hesitate to reach out to us because that makes it even more fun because then it can be a dialogue between the author and you as well. And what would be the best way for them to reach us? Email or social media. So our email address is offtheclockpsych at gmail.com. And then you can also ping us questions through Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Perfect. And you will get a personal email back. I manage the email account. <laughs> so actually, I should, it's fair warning. My email box is pretty full, but uh, you, will, you will get an email back from us. Diana is the person for the job because you like to respond to emails promptly, unlike me. <laughs> who's an email slacker <laughs> I have a question I'm sure there are listeners who are like me who were either at one point you know in their graduate program or a brand new clinician um, and I wonder you know what you all would want to say to those listeners and then thinking about listeners who are maybe more established like you all who have been in practice for many years or who have books or own practices or present at conferences like 
what would you want to say to them? Well, keep in mind that Debbie and I are very young. So <laughs> I mean, 29, established. as old as me. <laughs> we just lies. <laughs> These are lies. <laughs> For me, a tagline that I've been trying to probably do throughout my whole life and has been hard is to be true to myself. So be true to you. And I think that especially for graduate students, there's just a tremendous amount of pressure to perform and that can lead folks to not be true to themselves or have to kind of put on this, this show and lose themselves along the way. So I would say that would be a suggestion, a thread that I would carry throughout. We also have folks that aren't in psychology that are listening. So, you know, moms and people that are super geeked out on psychology and and listen to this show of being true to you, that the, the, the people that we bring on, the ideas that we talk about are sort of like the ingredients and you are the, you are the chef. So you get to put them together in the, in the way that works for you and apply them in your life, the way that works for you and the way that works for you may not be the same as the way that works for us. So be true to you. That would be my tagline. I think my tagline would be to stay curious. I think, you know, whether that curiosity is inwardly directed about what your experience is and how you can, you know, create more connection, better success in the workplace, you know, more happiness at home. Like curiosity is is really, I think what this podcast is about. It's like curiosity about how to flourish more in all the areas that are important to you and and to figure that out curiosity is one of the most essential ingredients. And we can look to science and we can look to the information that comes from inside of us and from our surroundings. Um, And hopefully from this podcast, you get some guidance in in sort of, you know, where to direct your searchlight of curiosity. But as Diana said, you know, then, then you get to sort of take it in and decide what, what you'd like to do with it, how you'd like to apply it. But I think, you know, that open curiosity is, is such an important place to start from. And that's why podcasts like ours, I think are so helpful because they sort of offer you different kinds of evidence-backed, really solid kind of information that you can extract from. I think the one thing I would want to express to people is just gratitude for taking the time to listen to us because I think in this world we live in, there's no shortage of information. It's everywhere. There's a zillion podcasts. There's a zillion things online. And I appreciate everyone who spends their time with us. And I hope that it's worth your while. I mean, I really hope that we provide people with something that's meaningful to them. So thank you. So I I have a question. Um, that is loosely tied to what what you just said, Debbie. There's so much stuff out there. And I was uh, jokingly mentioning my, my wish list on Amazon a few minutes ago, which is way too long. Um, how do you deal with the fear of, of missing out? And what would be your... Um, your tips for someone who's from maybe from comes comes to the podcast from a self development world and wants to just work on him or herself, and now there are so many books, so many concepts. There's productivity. There's self actualization. There's present moment. There's 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 so much stuff out there, and people don't know where to start. And if you're anything like me you're torn apart by the fact that you're not being able to read like 99% of the stuff that you want to learn. Um, How do you guys approach that? 
That's a question that I've been thinking a lot about, Michael, in terms of what I see in my practice and this this term that I got from Rupi Kaur, who wrote the book Homebody, which is just a lovely book of poems, beautiful book of poems. And in it, she has a poem called Productivity Anxiety. And she says, I have this productivity anxiety that I always need to be doing more, that I'm going to be left behind. And when I start to look at my life, I realize that isn't it my mom that I want to call? Like I have my mom right now available to me, or I have my breakfast and I'm always thinking about the next thing. And I think that our, our current environment with so much information overload and so many books to read and so many things to catch up on, we get caught in this feeling of productivity anxiety that really can drive us to start to pursue things that don't matter to us and not be true to ourselves. Right? So For me, I think that's going to be part of the process is that fear of missing out is going to show up and it shows up for evolutionary reasons. And it shows up because our brain is kind of designed to always think about what's the next thing to go get. And we also have a brain that can say, okay, that is, that is par for the course. And can I accept and allow the productivity anxiety to show up, but then still point myself towards what's most important to me. Yael's episode on subtract was phenomenal. And I have had a number of clients come into my practice and they're just saying, subtract, 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 because I think that we are bombarded by too much. And that's actually part of our environmental problems. It's part of our, you know, all sorts of things. So I guess my suggestion around that is to accept, allow, open up, and then point yourself in the direction of what really matters to you. I would say something very similar. So I'll just tag onto that. You know, your time is very precious. Like the clock is ticking on your life and you have to really hone in on what is truly important to you. You know, what really resonates for you. And just, there's almost like an acceptance of loss that there's not enough time to get to all of it. But I think if you can just really I mean, I think even for us choosing which, you know, of all the books and of all the people out there who we could interview, how do we pick the ones that we do? Most of the time, it's just because like, I care about this for some personal reason. And I I think that's, that's kind of the best we can do. Yeah. I'll just add on that when in, in sort of this overwhelm of choice domain, when, uh, writer and psychologist whose work has really been influential for me is Barry Schwartz, who wrote this terrific book called The Paradox of Choice. Although if you, you don't have to read the whole book, you can watch his very short TED talk, which is terrific. <laughs> um, but in it, he in his in this body of research, he talks about there's kind of if, if you can narrow it down to two different kinds of people, there's maximizers who are always trying to maximize everything, like get the best, do the most, do, you know, do as much as they can, not miss out on anything. And then there's satisficers for whom good enough is good enough. And satisficers are happier. And so whenever I get overwhelmed by choice, I just try to think, you know, what's good enough. And I try to let go of, you know, it can't be everything. I can't be the best. I can't absorb all that information. So where do I want to turn my attention to what's good enough for me? And no, kind of as Diana and Debbie are saying, like, there is going to be some loss that comes along with that. Um, but but it can be good enough and and that can really contribute to like a more, a sense of greater fulfillment. And at the same time, I also feel like there can be a benefit of putting your all into something when it's something you deeply care about. 
that I think it's okay to maximize sometimes. Like we can maximize in the areas that are most important to us. Where we get depleted is when we're trying to maximize everything. I love from organizational psychology, this concept of rocks in a jar, where it's like, put the, you only have this much, they only have this size of a jar and put the big rocks in first, right? The things that are most important to you, put those in first. I would add to that, allow some space between those rocks because we all need margins. If we're so packed in, I experienced this personally. I, I'm an overpacker in lots of ways, and you all know this about me. But when I don't have space in the margins, then I can't put all of my energy into the areas that are most important to me. Monica Bosk, who wrote the book Never Good Enough, talks about sort of the benefits of perfectionism and the benefits of putting your all into something that is not all bad, but that we have a choice in how we do it. Can I ask, you all asked us to come up with a question for today, and I thought of one that's relevant. Can I go for it? Of course. Okay. And maybe I'll, I'll, it's a two-part question, and I want to hear like one to two sentences from each of you. Okay. Okay. If you found out today that you were going to die in three weeks, part one, what would you do more of? Diana. Just lots of time with my, with my kids, just lots of looking at their faces and their hands and their feet and listening to their little voices and time with my spouse, my husband. Katie. Similar to Diana, I think I would spend a lot of time with the people that I love the most and spend a lot of time outside connecting with things. That's mine too. I'll jump in here. I would just go somewhere beautiful with the people I love and savor every moment. Michael. So I'm going the opposite route. I'm always a little bit ashamed to admit that. No, screw it. It's my last three weeks. I would do a lot of painting and I would do a lot of playing video games, which is always comes after work, after work, after I did all the good stuff, right? I would do a lot of that. And uh, I just realized that my plans for this weekend were spot on. Yeah, El? I think I would do a combination of time with my family and, and my loved ones, my fr- my good friends, and um, and writing. I don't know. For me, writing is it's it's a way to leave a legacy in a way and, and hopefully leave the world a better place in some way. So it's sort of that present moment connectedness with the people that I love, but also feel, you know, I want to leave with a sense of having made a positive difference in a more enduring way. Okay. Part two, and we'll go in reverse order. So three weeks to live, what would you do less of or not do at all? Yeah. I would stop trying to eat healthy. I would eat donuts and burritos constantly. So no, would- no spinach. But I I think I do think that I would still run. I feel good when I run, although if I ate a lot of junk and went running, that might not be great. But I I would stop trying to eat healthy. (laughs) Michael. Yeah, so that's a brilliant idea. Junk food for sure. Um, I would also stop replying to messages that I don't feel connected to. Like I would give myself admission to say, oh, look, there's a WhatsApp message coming in, a Telegram message, a Facebook message. I'm not going to reply. I would stop doing paperwork and domestic chores. Someone can clean up that mess after I'm gone. I'm sorry, whoever it is. (laughs) Katie? I know this is an action, but I think I would I would stop doing so many of the things that are rules in my head. 
like break, I would break some rules even with, you know, I love exercise, but there's our rules in my head about what types of exercise I should be doing. And I think I would break some of those rules and and not do those things. Diana. I would stop putting up barriers to intimacy with people. And whether that's my parents or my husband, just dropping the barriers that are sort of the blocks to just really knowing them and loving them. Well, we slowly have to start wrapping this up. We're almost on on the hour here. Um, This was fun. Like psychologists, maybe we should start a second podcast and we call it like psychologists off the clock, off the clock. That's not a big rock, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) That's not making it in the jar. Not making it in the jar. (laughs) It's like the uncensored, you know, there will be like an uncensored cut of a movie or something. It's like, let us know if you, if you like this type of episode and you want more of this type of episode, let us know. Cause we want to hear from you what types of episodes you like. And we're happy to do this every once in a while, if you find it helpful help Diana see that it's a big rock. (laughs) (laughs) Emailing me and adding to my inbox, right? (laughs) All right, guys, this was a lot of fun. Um, Really glad to be doing this with you guys. Thank you all for listening and happy birthday to my birthday twin. Yay! (laughs) Happy birthday. And thank you to Melissa and Jill who aren't here as well. Um, they're key players in this in this team. So shout out to them. Oh, we forgot Was... to record. No, I just want to. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. If you enjoy our podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or contributing on Patreon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd like to thank our strategic consultant, Michael Harold, our dissemination coordinator, Katie Rothfelder, and our editorial coordinator, Melissa Miller. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources page of our webpage, offtheclockpsych.com.